3: Right now on FAST, a sea of red on Wall Street. The Nasdaq dropping just shy of 3%. The Dow swinging more than 900 points from high to close. Energy, the only sector in the S&P able to hold on to gains. So does this mark the end of the bear market rally? Plus, a vote of confidence in the Magic Kingdom. Disney's board voting to extend CEO Bob Chapek's contract. What he needs to do with this opportunity to get shares rising again. And a semi-standout. One-chip stock bucking the big downtrend in the market. What got this name moving higher and can this momentum last? I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, and Jeff Mills. And we start off with that sharp sell-off on Wall Street. Major averages all closing near the lows of the day. The Dow down nearly 500 points. The S&P 500 falling 2%. The biggest loser, the Nasdaq, dropping nearly 3%. Dragging down the indices, big tech. Take a look at the moves and names like Amazon, Tesla, Meta, and many more. These five names lost a combined $250 billion in market cap today. So at the end of the quarter, just around the quarter corner, <laughs> are we in for even more pain ahead? Dan, what do you say? Yeah,
4: you know, listen, it is a bit of a head scratcher. I think the consensus was that the market near term was very oversold. The sentiment was really bad. We did have this kind of quarter end thing. We had that Russell rebalance um, late last week and people thought that maybe you kind of get a little bit more uh, legs to the rally. Not saying I did not see too many people calling an end to the sell off over the last couple of weeks, but just really on a sentiment basis into Q2, Uh end of the quarter. This is one of the worst Q2s that we've had in a long time. It's actually one of the very few times over the last, I don't know, decade or two that we've had two consecutive negative quarters in the stock market. And just the last point I'll make here is if you're looking at the S&P 500, the rally that we had off the lows in March to its highs just a couple weeks later was about 18%. The one in May was about 12%. This one wasn't even 10% off the lows in the S&P 500. So the bear market rallies are just kind of losing less intensity. And lastly, you might have thought that this would correspond With a sharp move higher in yields,
3: that's what we were talking about just
4: before the show. Yeah, I know I stole it from you, Uh, and it and it (laughs) didn't happen. It didn't do with it. So this felt not not
1: particularly great.
3: Yeah, Mills, what did you make of that? I mean, yields seem to have some footing here at around the three point two percent mark, plus or minus some bips.
5: Yeah, you know, I, I think that really what you're going to see is probably continued weakness in yields. And I don't necessarily think that that's a good thing because I think it's foreshadowing potential further weakness in the economy. And I think that's going to be the issue here. We've had this inflation scare Uh, And I think it's still with us. But I think we're probably at peak inflation. We're probably at peak Fed hawkishness. But unfortunately, we're also at peak earnings. And I think that's going to be the biggest risk. We're going to go from this inflation scare to this earnings scare as the economy continues to slow down. So, you know, the S&P might be trading at 15 times forward now, but it's trading on 15 times, you know, these imaginary earnings that I think need to come down. But let's not forget, we had $160 in earnings in 2019. We then had $208 of earnings in 2021. But that 2021 earnings number was goosed by stimulus that's now working in the exact opposite direction. So my guess is earnings estimates are going to start to come down. In fact, even looking at Q2, it was really energy that's kept up the overall S&P 500 earnings estimates as they rose 40% during the quarter. So you're starting to see some weakness under the surface. I think it continues. And that's why I think these bear market rallies that we see are going to continue to lose steam.
3: Yeah, and and Goldman had a note to that effect out today, saying that profit margin forecasts will need to come down. And that lines up with what we heard out of Nike yesterday. And granted, what Nike saw was still a strong DTC business um, and and probably better than some analysts expected on China, Tim. But they still talked about costs, freight costs, ocean freighter costs. Uh, Those costs will continue to persist higher uh, in the near future, at least.
6: Yeah, and that move in Nike is, is kind of like the move in the market. We actually came out of the gates and, and with some strength and, and really gave up a lot. And and uh, so speaking to earnings and earnings revisions, and and really, if anything, if you're going to start to call a bottom on the market, and I'm not sure anyone here is, um, there's probably a checklist of a lot of different things you want to see. One of them is going to have to be that uh, you're going to start to begin to see earnings revisions move higher. I don't even think they've moved lower yet, uh, and that's part of the problem. Uh, we're, we're talking more, though, uh, about a market you can trade and some of the dynamics that we've had from last week into this, um, what's disturbing is uh, really, uh, you know, so decided uh, I should say levels on stocks like a Microsoft, like an Nvidia, smack down at the 50-day. Not, you know, not just a, a little, uh, but decidedly. And if you look at the the downtrend in something like an Apple from from April one, um, you can draw a pretty straight. Trend line down, and and it, a lot of these stocks are failing there. The underperformance of tech, which we really started to see to the overall S and P from December one, again, I don't think you're at the end of that. We're going to talk later in the show about consumer confidence. Um, there's the housing market, which uh, gave you. Yeah, essentially year over year, 20 and a half percent growth in house prices, you know, that divergence from reality is something also I, I just think is going to have to weigh on the market and weigh on the consumer. So um, today is disappointing. Uh, quarter end is around the corner. <laughs> I don't know that we, we can't figure out some way to rally into quarter end, but it doesn't solve our problems.
3: Yeah, um, you know, on top of the housing stuff, consumer confidence was lower. Richmond Fed was lower. I'm not saying that any one piece of data moved the needle in the markets today, Guy, but it's sort of a picture of a sort of expectations, outlooks that are being ratcheted lower.
2: Yeah, it's listen, I think Jeff really summed it up nicely in terms of now we're in the period of time where earnings expectations, not only expectations, but earnings themselves are start to come down. And I think we've been pretty steadfast in that belief in terms of the market i mean you know again i'll go back june 14th i said on the show i thought we were set up for a pretty mind-numbing rally into this quarter end that we're talking about obviously that next day it didn't happen but the market's done well since i got to tell you i did not see today coming in terms of this violent turnaround the s p traded off 120 ish handles seemingly on nothing and again I thought this would be a week and I said it the other day that I thought we'd sort of in the eye of the storm. Tim said I thought he was gonna say eye of the tiger you said survivor but I thought we had this window of time where the market could just levitate towards 4100 I don't know what happened today but it clearly was not good and all the concerns we've have had have not abated but something changed today in terms of price action that I was not prepared for
3: I wonder how many people out there downloaded eye of the tiger thanks to us And again, on this reference, I I don't know if it's been referenced this many times in such a short amount of time on national TV. Um, But Jeff Mills, what, you know, is there a game plan for you as you look into earnings season, as we are expecting sort of, it feels like we're bracing for what companies are going to be guiding towards.
5: Yeah, we are. And I I think my game plan continues to be the same today, sort of notwithstanding because it's been uh, it was a really rough day for growth. And I've been talking about leaning into quality growth. I mean, maybe some of today was a give back. You've had 700 basis points of outperformance uh, in growth over the last month or so versus value. So maybe you saw a little bit of that. But I still think you want to lean into companies where you've seen a re-rating of multiples and their earnings are somewhat less vulnerable. To the cyclicality of the economy, because I think what we're going to continue to see is weaker economic growth. And the last thought I'll leave you with is that you know when we're looking for market bottoms, if you go all the way back to the 1950s, 90% of the time when you see major corrections in the market, the market bottoms along with leading economic indicators like PMI, I don't see those indicators bottoming anytime soon. So I would be fading rallies until we start to get some footing. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen in
4: 2022. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point, you know, developing a game plan into these scheduled events. We know what they are. They're going to be earnings. They're going to start probably in a few weeks. Now, that's assuming that we don't get any big negative pre-announcements. And I'll just say this, you know, over the last couple of quarters, if you were expecting some really big, um, you know, negative guides lower, you didn't get them. You know, and we talked about that a little bit. Yeah, there were some big ones, Netflix and Snap, and there was a, uh, you know, Target, and, and that's really more recent. And you might not just get a lot of these bloodletting sort of situations. You might get companies kind of Eking some information out. The Microsoft pre announcement they had, they talked about FX as a big headwind. They may say something different this time around. So I think playing for, you know, waiting for that big swoosh lower across, let's say, an area like tech, you may not get it. And, you know, I don't like to use those expressions like a stock tick picker's market, but some of these stocks that are down 70, 80%, and I think what Jeff was just talking about, some of these growthier ones that have been in bear markets for more than a year or so, they're probably getting closer to a bottom because. The revisions are going to get low enough, and then therefore they're low enough to start beating. Maybe it's late this year or early next, and that's probably what you need to start to look for.
3: There may also be a degree of disbelief when it comes to earnings and what the companies actually guide, because a couple of the the, of the warnings that you mentioned came just weeks yeah. after the quarter was posted, guys. So I'm wondering, you know, as an investor, you, you know, you're going to get this guidance, but if things really quickly change and the Fed is going to hike another 75, et cetera, et cetera, we don't see the impacts. Of that and the previous tightening um, for weeks and months then we could see revisions lower in the future.
2: I I think Mel that's a great point I mean you just nailed I think you just nailed it in terms of how can we trying to do this each night have clarity or visibility when companies that are on top of this seemingly 24 7 don't and I'm not looking to pick on target but they come out with their numbers and then two and a half three weeks later They say something even more devastating. So it's very hard to have that kind of visibility. But again, to Jeff's point, you know, to think that somehow magically, you know, we can have earnings growth in this environment and be anywhere near sort of the $230 people are looking for and then sort of put a 20 multiple on that for some reason that I don't really understand doesn't make a lot of sense. The question is, what's the right multiple in this environment? I think it's somewhere between sort of 15 and a half and 17. And what's the number going to be when we finally get there? And I think, to Jeff's point, it's going to be closer to 200 than, I think, 230. All
3: right. Moving on to China here. The country easing its COVID restrictions today after Shanghai and Beijing declared zero COVID cases for the first time since February. Health authorities have the quarantine period for visitors from overseas. Students are heading back to school in Shanghai, Disney. That's set to reopen this week, so reopening is real there. Our next guest, though, says this isn't enough to restore investor confidence for the long term. Dwardrick McNeil joins us now. He's Longview Global Senior Policy Analyst and Managing Director. He's also a CNBC contributor. Dwardrick, great to have you with us. Um, I was reading this Nomura note last week about the property market in China saying, they're basically saying that it's the worst Downturn on record. It exceeds a downturn that we saw in 08 and after that. And the ripple effects are going to be deep. At the same time, on that same day, President Xi comes out and, and vows that he will hit economic targets for this year. Can the two things coexist?
7: Thank you for having me, Melissa. Look, you hit the nail right on the head here. This loosening of border restrictions, which is really what we have here, is an attempt to straddle the fence. It's an attempt to do a little bit of economic recovery and growth and a little bit of pandemic control, and to be honest with you, I'm not sure that both things can be done simultaneously. (laughs) She seems to think that that 5.5% that they predicted would be the growth rate uh, GDP for 2022 will be hit, but all of the things that I'm seeing in the Chinese economy right now, and there are a lot of headlines, Melissa, indicates that that number is not going to be made at all.
6: Hey, gets it's Tim. Uh, I agree. And I, I guess I'm less concerned about headline GDP numbers in China than I am about policy. Uh, in your view, the Health Commission is saying something on some level different than the government. Again, zero COVID policy. We had a couple uh, government officials have to walk back comments about extending that another five years. Do you think there's some cracks uh, in in? policy. And in China, I don't ever expect they're going to have to to walk it back dramatically uh, other than, you know, truly what they want to do. But I, I get the sense that um, not only is this unpopular at home, uh, but there are folks within the government that want to see a much easier approach.
7: Absolutely. Those individuals in charge of the economy trying to hit those numbers uh, that she said they're going to hit certainly want to see a loosening of this policy. But you're absolutely right. COVID zero dynamic pandemic control has not gone away as a policy. So at any point in time, we can find ourselves back in a situation where there's draconian applications for getting back to zero COVID. And so for me, as I look at this, the question is, are we going to hit a point where we know where the end is and what that ending looks like? And for me, I I don't see it. There's no consistency, no predictability, and I can't trust that there's sustainability in this policy response. I think that perhaps We have some seasonal loosening. But what happens as we move into quarter four and the winter starts to approach? Will we see lockdowns again? And the chances of that happening, quite frankly, are great.
3: So basically, DeWardrick, you're saying even though this is all good in terms of the end of the the lockdown for now, great for supply chains, this could just very well be a, a temporary sort of hiatus.
7: I think it releases some pressure. As we heard, there's been a lot of anger around this policy. There are real economic concerns that the zero COVID uh, policy has really hammered China's economy. However, I think that this is a go slow approach. You know, you mentioned Shanghai Disney opening. Well, this will be a real test case to see just how much tolerance China has with respect to large gatherings and outbreaks of uh, COVID-19. I'm not convinced that we're there, but I certainly want to acknowledge that having quarantine times, is a step in the right direction for a lot of people. But will it be enough to restore confidence for international investors, to restore confidence for businesses and expats who uh, live and work in China? I'm not so sure that we're there yet. I think there's still a lot to be determined about how this loosening will go over the long term.
3: Always great to get your analysis, Dordrick. Thank you.
7: Thank you, Melissa.
3: To Wardrick McNeil. Um, I was thinking about this this morning, Guy, as I sometimes do. And I was wondering, you know, with China reopening, that's a good thing. It's a great thing for supply chains. But is it ultimately more inflationary for the rest of the world?
2: Yes. hundred percent. That's exactly where I was going, Mel. Once again, I find you to be in my head and VC Vicey, as they say. And the first thing that struck me was this is extraordinarily infl- potentially to be inflationary. And what is it supportive of? I think energy. And Again, I know it's very difficult right now to fight this energy trade. And days that it goes lower, it looks like it's over forever. I just don't think that's the case. And I think this should become a tailwind for the energy trade, which has been challenged, but actually did decently well today.
3: The hard thing about this whole just sort of the the COVID lockdown policy still really being in place, Jeff, is that the lockdown can go back into effect at any time. And it's sort of hard to plan for that. It's nice that we could get a respite. We don't know how long. And maybe that uncertainty is worse than having the certainty of, of dealing with a situation the way it is.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think it's good to see at least some flexibility. But the risk of the rug being pulled out is what we've talked about for a while. And it's why it's hard to figure out what's the right multiple to pay for some of these stocks. You know, it's probably too cheap right now. But to go back to where we were before, uh, probably not going to happen because that risk is, is an overhang. But I also think, too, that China, between now and the end of the year, is really focused on growth. So it's not just the COVID policies. It's the stimulus that you're seeing uh, in other regulatory areas, fiscal, monetary, etc., that I think is very important for the Chinese economy and I think is going to play a big part. We talked about PMIs and leading economic indicators earlier. Uh, you're talking about trough-level PMIs in China. That's very different than other regions of the world. There, there are PMIs are in the first decile, so very low. And when you talk about market bottoms, at least in China, usually associated with PMIs around those levels so you introduce some stimulus there and you're starting to see it the 10-year there is turning up a little bit business confidence is turning up a little bit uh, and then you're actually seeing it in financial markets whether it's the k-web uh even certain discretionary names like yum brand so asset prices are telling you that there is a t- a a tide shift in growth mm-hmm. a little bit here uh, and that may be the most important thing relative to the performance of, of stocks in that region specifically
3: i'll ask the ambassador this that was Tim's nickname, I guess it still is technically. Thank um, you. Could, could one make the argument that China may be the best positioned market here to rally into your end? Uh,
6: Ambassador here, yeah, I, th- I think you have a couple things going on. First of all, China is, is in many cases often the policy leader for EM. Uh, EM typically bottoms first, whether this is a bottom or not. EM certainly started to pull back. EM started to pull back, which at one point in March of 21 looked like it was breaking to all time highs, actually Fell first as yields uh, started to bottom. If you think about uh, maybe we've priced in peak Fed. Fed fund futures are telling us that. Um, That would certainly be in the dollar too. So as the dollar uh, is the dollar petering out, certainly very beneficial for EM overall. Remember, China's forty percent of your investment in EM. If you're investing in one of those ETFs like the EEM or the the VWO. who have outperformed the S&P over the last six six weeks by about eight and a half percent. So EM is absolutely uh, outperforming. And if you look at like a Brazil and a Mexico, uh, especially Latin America, there's arguments that this economy is very good for Latin America. So there are opportunities here. Also, we still really just want to see China's approach to their, their mega cap tech companies. That, to me, is is the real story on investing in China.
3: All right. Check out shares of Pinterest. They are jumping the after hours right now. Shares are up by more than four percent. The company announcing co-founder and CEO Ben Silberman will step down and become executive chairman and Google Commerce exec Bill Reddy will take over as CEO. Stock really likes this, Dan.
4: Yeah. I mean, listen, Ben founded the company. He got Mm -hmm. it to this point. It's been a tough road for a lot of growth companies like this that have basically struggled with profitability, but also kind of worked. You know, they're really trying to kind of hack out a, a, a world where they're just dealing with behemoths. So the idea of hiring somebody from Google Commerce to run this business makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. And then you have the visionary founder of this company remains as um, chairman. I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't think there's any reason to rush out and buy this thing. I think a lot of these names you want to wait, want to wait and see. Again, we have just talked about this. What does the quarter look like? What does the guidance look like? And what is the path back?
3: Guy, you've always had a sort of a soft spot for Pinterest, um, probably because what we found a sock puppet of you. <laughs> on oh was that no was that in etsy that was etsy. Oh, that, that was, was etsy. that was but you etsy. Have your pinterest page. yeah that
2: we have an etsy
3: you have your pinterest yeah. page well just so, so. just
2: to clarify so lisa villalobos the crack producer of those two afternoon shows she actually bought an etsy puppet and yes so that's that on the flip side i'm an early adapter of pinterest and members of the cnbc fast money team created helped me create that page which is remarkable you should take a look at it what is also remarkable is effectively now this stock has round-tripped the move from 14.5 back in you know, early 2020 up to 88 right back down. It's, it's really amazing. So if anything, maybe this gives you something to trade against, but it's been a tough slog, Melms.
3: House of Style and Classic Rock, I think, is the title mm-hmm. of your page. That's
2: true, and yes. it hasn't been updated for That's about exactly fifteen years. Right. So Look it's like you.
3: it's like a time capsule. Um, it's like May. Do not miss. <laughs> In
2: a lot of ways, it's like me.
3: <laughs> do not miss Jim Cramer's interview with the outgoing and incoming Pinterest CEOs. That's on Mad Money tomorrow, right here at six p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, just keep it. Inventory issues prompting retailers to reject returns and tell consumers to hold on to unwanted goods. The challenge that poses to the industry straight ahead. But first, Disney CEO Bob Chapek may be breathing a sigh of relief today after getting a big vote of confidence from the board. The stock, though, is still under pressure this year. What he needs to do to turn things around. Don't go anywhere. Fast money's back in two.
7: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
3: Welcome back to Fast Money. Disney's board wrapping up a second day of meetings in Florida and unanimously voting to extend CEO Bob Chapek's contract for three years. The stock turning positive after hours on the back of the announcement. Julia Borson joins us with with the very latest. Julia.
0: Well, JPEG's contract was set to expire in February. Board chair Susan Arnold saying in a statement, quote, Disney was dealt a tough hand by the pandemic, yet with Bob at our helm, our businesses from parks to streaming not only weathered the storm, but emerged in a position of strength. With Disney shares down about 45% in the past year, there were questions about whether the board would extend his contract after he faced criticism for mismanaging Disney's response to Florida's so-called Don't Say Gay bill. But the board indicated that this extension was coming when its chair issued a statement in support of Chapek following his much-questioned firing of senior executive Peter Rice just a few weeks ago. JPEG does still face many challenges, including hitting the company's ambitious streaming subscriber goals, which now seem harder to reach in light of Netflix's subscriber losses and projected continued losses. Sources tell me that executives are also concerned that Disney's recent Lightyear movie had one of the lowest box office debuts of any Pixar movie after the last two Pixar movies were released exclusively in Disney Plus, raising questions about whether Disney Plus is cannibalizing the box office. Now we'll have to see what moves Chapek feels emboldened to make with his now longer runway. Melissa?
3: Julia, just hypothetically, if they were looking for another CEO, who might that be now that Peter Rice is gone? Because I believe that he was seen as a potential heir apparent
0: you know he was considered as a potential heir apparent Mm -hmm. but i would say that the people that have been speculated about as potential successors to chapek don't necessarily have the experience so maybe three years from now maybe six years from now but some of the names i've heard are dana walden um so dana walden is a longtime tv executive she came over from fox with peter rice she was reporting to peter rice and now she's replacing Peter Rice in that senior role um, in that television organization. So she's very well respected and has a lot of experience in the n- industry. So the question is what kind of experience she gets the next couple of years and whether she could be seen as a potential successor. I also want to flag that Kareem Daniels, he just had a big profile in the New York Times um, and sort of raising his profile, he's the one who oversees the company's distribution in terms of the managing which content goes direct to consumer what goes into theaters. So obviously that's an important role and sort of an unusual role because Disney did split up the content creation business and the content distribution business. So he has less experience than Dana Walden in the industry, but they certainly seem to be grooming him to get a little bit more attention uh, in in the media world. So those are two names that people have been talking about, especially with that big big profile in the New York Times recently.
3: Yeah, Uh, Julia, thank you, Julia Borsten. Jeff Mills, what's wrong with Disney in your view?
5: You know, it's, it's been caught up in a lot of things, and some questions about streaming is certainly one of them lately. Uh, I actually talked to our analyst this morning. We own the stock just to get uh, his most recent take, and our price target's till 130. And just to go through one of the assumptions, there are many, but that assumes 899 for the service a month out in 2026. So not a huge increase in the cost of the service there. One of the things he said, which I did think was sort of interesting that maybe sets them apart in the long run is their ability to leverage old content. They do that really effectively, sort of across the company. He used Toy Story Land as an example. There are four of them across the parks. There are two themed hotels. This is a movie that came out, what, Thirty years ago, and they're still making a billion dollars a year annually on that content. So um, pretty interesting there. I think uh, they're going to spend more on original content. I think right now the streaming landscape is a little bit muddied, a lot of competition. I don't think consumers really know what they want. So I think that's spreading out the spend. But ultimately, I think Disney's one of the winners, and that helps the stock going forward. Tim? I think the, the the valuation gets to a place
6: where you're you're now. You just posted 20 times. I had it at. 18 times forward, Uh, regardless, you're at a level where you were pre-COVID, you're at a level before you priced in a streaming business. Um, And maybe it's cannibalizing. I think there's many other benefits, including the recurring revenue of the subscription that should actually give them a much higher multiple, which is why many analysts do a hybrid multiple here. So I I look at Disney down 48% from its 52-week highs, uh, 15% tops, maybe even a little bit less off of its COVID low. When we are questioning the company's balance sheet on some level. They're cutting their dividend. They were, they were retrenching. They were dealing with a cash crunch because of what was going on in the parks. This is not that company. Um, I, I just think this is the kind of a company you're supposed to be starting to pick at. This is the kind of a company that uh, has, I, I think, on some level, a, a consumer behind them through many different economic cycles. And that consumer is based upon their studio. So I, I like it here. You probably knew that.
4: Yeah, you know, Tim, that is to me the most important point. This is not that company in the throes of the pandemic in the spring of 2020, a stock that went from basically $139 to a panic low of 80, and then all the way back to $200, back to the highs and then 200. So here you are, the thing's more than cut in half here. And I think your valuation, even if estimates are to come down for the back half of the year and even moderate for the next fiscal year, you have a stock trading well below the average multiple during all that time when you were not pricing in the streaming business so to me I, I agree with you if you see this thing with an aid handle in the next few weeks and i suspect you will over the course of this summer then that you do have to start buying this stock or, at or
3: maybe point. the streaming business at this point guy warrants a discount i, don't, I mean it's a big they're going to spend a lot of money on it its is a little bit uncertain in terms of subscribers we've certainly seen that with netflix
2: yeah, and Tom Rogers talks about that all the time. By the way, Tom's a stud. I know he's watching, but I think that discount is more than now in the stock. I mean, I think that discount was when the stock was trading in the one teens or so here at 95. I think it's more than discounted. That's probably looking at that as somewhat of a negative, as crazy as that sounds. And I'm with Tim and Dan. I mean, I have it, doesn't matter what I have it, but 17 and a half times next year's numbers, probably about as cheap as Disney's been in quite some time, and it levels again. Outside of that move down to 80 that Dan just pointed out, this is support levels from 2016 on. So unless you think they really devastating, catastrophic things on the horizon, that will take this the next leg lower. You know, I'm hard pressed to believe you're going to get crushed in Disney at these current levels.
3: All right. We've got a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next
7: cheaper to keep. Retailers letting customers hang on to returns as inventory issues pile up. So which names can brave the buildup? Plus, time to duke it out with options. Crude oil bouncing back, but energy companies may not come along for the ride. The details ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
3: Welcome back to Fast Money, a brutal day for consumer stocks. Carvana, Wayfair, Etsy, Chewy, and Nordstrom among the worst performers in the sector. The plunge follows data showing consumer confidence fell to its lowest levels in 16 months. And our next guest warns the inventory challenges of these companies could mean a full-blown recession is unavoidable. Jerry Storch is the former CEO of Hudson's Bay and Toys R Us. He now runs Storch Advisor. Jerry, great to have you with us. Always good to see My you. My pleasure. Um, so we saw this sort of apocalyptic inventory situation with Walmart and Target. And you think there's a boomerang effect sort of going on now in in that they're going to order a lot less?
1: Uh, Absolutely. Uh, You know, they got suckered into buying too much, worried that the supply chains were so bad they're going to run out. And so they kind of threw the book out the window they've been running their businesses on for 30 years, you know, about how how to buy in small quantities and how to buy to trend. So they blew it. And they had way too much inventory. Now they're trying to get rid of it. They've marked a lot of it down. That's good. But they want to make sure they don't run out. One thing about being a retailer is nobody wants to be out of stock, and it's really bad to be out of stock on basics, but you actually make more money when you run out of stuff.
3: Um, you know, we heard from Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target, a, a number of times, <laughs> uh, whether it be the last earnings report, the, the warning afterwards, and then some comments at a conference after that talking about how Halloween is going to be hot, back to school is going to be hot, back to college is going to be hot. When you hear all these things together, what do you make of it? What kind of picture is this painting? It's kind of confusing.
1: Well, I think he's right for basic product. And, you know, Halloween's become, you know, the third largest holiday in the year after, after Christmas and Easter. So they're going to sell a lot of candy, a lot of candy for Halloween. And we're going to sell, you know, great during uh, necessities for back to school. And so those products are going to sell very well. Target did the right thing. Walmart did the right thing. They're going to have good fourth quarters, by the way. I think very, you know, very good, perhaps. But overall, consumer demand is going to take it on the chin. We've reached the point now where we're already in a recession or going to be. Prices have simply gotten too high for things consumers have no choice but to buy. It costs me now over $100 to fill up my SUV every time I fill up over $100, you know, just to do that. And so that's gotta affect sales of other products. And you're starting to see that in the numbers already. It doesn't mean it's retail apocalism, by the way. The best retailers are still gonna do great. They're gonna do fine this holiday. It's just a lot of them that really never got it right but we're getting credit when it was too easy, when all ships were rising, they're gonna find they really didn't change their business models enough to make a difference.
5: Hey, Jerry, Jeff Mills here. Uh, Quick question, you sort of just alluded to it, but I was curious what you think are the best position retailers here as we head into this economic slowdown and maybe talk about what characteristics uh, help them stand out.
1: Well, number one is providing value to the customer. And by value, what I mean is that out of the consumer dollars, That retailer spends the least on their own business. So the customer gets the most value for the dollar. Common sense, right? So Costco looks like, for example, they did pretty well during all environments, pre-recession, during recession, post-recession. And that's going to continue. TJ Maxx came out of this in a very strong position. And their numbers didn't look like Target and Walmarts, did they? They looked pretty darn good. Home Depot did well. And I think they're going to continue to do well. I would also add to the group of retailers I expect to do well going forward, the dollar stores, especially Dollar General, which is one of the best run companies in that segment. So I think they're hey, going to be guy, great because the is going to flock to value.
3: Jerry, oh, just, no. just quickly, which are the ones that are, are weak or are actually weak under the surface that will not survive very well?
1: Well, I think the department stores are going to do poorly, as are mall-based apparel stores. Uh, you know, they didn't do well during, you know, before, before the recession, during the recession, they came out looking a little better. They're not fixed. They're going to stay broken. And anyone who thinks just because people offered a lot of money for coals that they're fixed, they're wrong. They're going to continue to do poorly. And you see that in the reduced bid for that company.
3: All right. Jerry, great to have you with us. Thank you. My pleasure. Jerry Storch. Tim, you agree with Jerry?
6: Well, one of his most interesting points was that he thinks a lot of these retailers didn't really fix themselves, and mm. and so if we're talking about department stores, they probably had the most to fix. And I, I've certainly been up here talking uh, that I think Macy's has done a great job on inventory. They've done certainly a fantastic job on e-commerce, uh, and they've rationalized their footprint. So I, I think that is difficult, uh, different in terms of department stores. But Jerry's point, uh, he knows better than I do. Uh, take the companies that really have made change, and I think I'd go back to Target down four percent in 40 odd days first of all um and yeah brian cornell has been out there multiple times different messages uh, but this stock trades at 13 times forward this is a company that does great in an environment even though uh their inventory and certainly their sales shift uh we've started to hear a lot more about but uh, I, I you know there are places including walmart that i think you want to be and again these are companies that you want to own now uh, i think you've priced in a lot of recession there
3: guy which ones do you like we have guy
4: I know what he likes
6: I think he,
3: he's he likes the dollar
4: him. stores and he's been all over the dollar that's general that's true I are you just going
3: to what does dan like
4: Well, listen, I think it's really interesting what what Tim just mentioned, you know, about these department stores. We had a lot of debate pre pandemic thinking that they were going out of business. Right. And and they really didn't fix themselves. There were certain dynamics. I think the investments and some of the direct to consumer stuff really paid off. I think one name that's really starting to interest me, and I hear this routinely from people who are focused on the consumer but also on tech, is Amazon. And I know a lot of the story has been that they overexpanded. They benefited from the pull forward. And now you got to kind of work through it. If you look at this thing and really how it Consolidated after that move, after the pandemic, and then that late-year breakout, it really, you know, it it topped out when Bezos handed over the reins a year ago. So to me, I actually think Amazon sets up really well. I think some of the investments they made, they're going to get some of these things right, and it's going to be a great story for the next five or 10 years, but it probably happens from lower. And the last point I'll just make is just think about Tim Cook taking over at Apple, Sundar, right, over at Google, and then obviously Satya at Microsoft. It makes perfect sense that Jazzy's going to have a similar five-year run, in my opinion in at some point when the stock bottoms.
3: All right. Coming up, semi-surge shares of Qualcomm jumping in today's session. We'll tell you what had investors rushing in and them Duke boys at it again. Duke Energy, I mean. Options traders drilling into the name. We'll tell you how they're playing it with Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Crude prices rallying for the third straight day back above $111 a barrel. Despite the gains in the commodity, one options trader is betting that energy companies might not continue their rally. Mike Co joins us with the action. Mike.
2: Yeah, so we're taking a look at uh, Duke Energy. Of course, that's a utility a little bit different. What we saw was six times the average daily call volume, and the activity was concentrated in the July 110 options. We saw a sale of 3,000 of those at 45 cents. Ultimately, over 8,500 of those ended up trading. The seller of those is obviously betting that Duke's not going to go through that 110 strike price, which is a little more than 4% higher than the current stock price. They're collecting about 43 basis points of the current stock price. That works out to about 9% annualized in terms of yield on a standstill basis if the stock does stay below that
3: strike. All right. Thanks, Mike, for the action up. for the full show, Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern Time. Options action coming up. Qualcomm crushing it. The semi stock going a decidedly different way than the rest of the market. What has this chip name charging higher? Plus, casinos in the green as China eases restrictions. So which names are poised to win big? The traders are rolling the dice on this one when Fast Money Returns. Welcome back, back to fast money. Check out shares of Qualcomm surging more than three percent today. The move comes after an analyst who covers the stock tweeted that Apple will likely use Qualcomm's 5G chips for its new iPhones rather than using its own technology. But the semi surge wasn't felt throughout the space. AMD, Nvidia under pressure. So can you count on Qualcomm as a trade here, Guy? I think we strained out your issues now. Um, you can hear me. I hopefully I'm sorry. can hear you. I thought you were ignoring me, but.
7: You're
2: not. No, no, no. The Ghost in the Machine, which again, great police album. Tim, I think 1982, if I'm not mistaken. Neither here nor there. We mentioned Qualcomm last week. We said it traded down the October low. You could actually.
3: A guy is shaking his head like he dropped out. Okay, so we tried. Um, Jeff Mills, I'll try and get your thoughts on on semiconductors.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I can uh, step in here. You know, it's interesting, and I think we have to keep this in perspective. You know, Qualcomm's been beaten up, piece of good news, got a nice pop. But Apple is still going to develop these 5G chips. I think what this does is it gives Qualcomm a little bit of time to continue to diversify their business. But the here and now is that Qualcomm is exposed cyclically maybe more so than a lot of other semis, just because you know phone demand goes down and then their demand goes down with it. And I don't know that the chart looks particularly good. It failed at the 50-day earlier this month. It's back there now, so I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in the coming days. But that downtrend is in place. I think the positive thing is that semis generally, uh, the valuations are a little bit easier to defend. But overall, I think I would need to see more just from the charts
4: to convince me that the worst is over or we need to hear from Micron tomorrow. And again, you know, memory, I, You know, they're gonna report after the close and what they have to say, I think, about pricing, what they have to say about cyclicality, which Jeff just mentioned here, demand for um, those sorts of products. That might give us a really good sense of what the back half of the year looks like. And when you talk about what Jerry was just talking about inventory in the retail space, we might find that a lot of semiconductor companies or a lot of um, OEMs that use those semiconductors found themselves in a double ordering sort of situation. We could have inventories there. So to me, I think the Micron report tomorrow might Uh, tomorrow night will be very important.
3: Uh, Tim, you've been watching Semis for a long time in terms of their read on the economy here.
6: Yeah. Yeah, so uh, down about 18.5% on the SMH Semiconductors ETF that tracks the SOX index uh, since, really, December 1. Uh, that was always the most important chart in the market. It's been the most important chart on the way down. Uh, valuations in the space, again, as, as Dan and the guys are referring to, you have more commoditized chips. Look, in Qualcomm's case, at nine times forward, uh, at times this has been one that should be more resilient. The Apple News is a headline. Um, it's still a downtrend. It's still. It chart still looks like everybody else's uh, and i don't think sammy's bottom uh, until we've had some sense that the fed and the cycle here is bottomed
3: coming up elon musk no stranger to memes but one rival is making him the target what vw ceo has to say about the state of the ev race The first is there a jackpot lurking in the casino trade shares of the gaming names jumping as China reopens. so which stocks are worth a gamble Fast money's back in two Welcome back to Fast Money. Casino stocks on a roll today after China announced it is easing COVID restrictions for travelers. Shares of Wynn in Las Vegas Sands, both avoiding the broad market losses. And to up the ante, JMP Securities initiated both DraftKings and Penn National Gaming and market outperformed, though both of those names ended the day lower. Um, Tim, you've got some interesting charts in the gaming space that you're watching. Yeah.
6: Look, I I think, first of all, I would go straight into the heart of the China story. And and it's on some level it's LVS, although they've got a lot of Singapore. They even have a lot of cash and they have some U.S. But I would go with Melco, uh, so again, if you if you look at Melco uh, Gaming, this is a stock that to me not only is it most exposed, but if you look at where analysts are, uh, they're they're averaging in their models somewhere around 10 to 20 percent of 2019 levels on on VIP, for example. Um, any surprise above that will change these models dramatically. They gave a first quarter guide, uh, very very conservative. Stock's already had a big run, and another example of one of those companies uh, or names that you make the most money when things go from awful to just bad that's the story here and i think bad remains
3: good we're gonna try guy one more time three times a charm right so what do you think guy
2: Mm. i i'm so i am sorry again i think win look and i've been so wrong on this one as well the w in the dawn trade it recently i think the june 23rd traded down below the march 2020 lows which is remarkable if you think about it i mean multi-year
3: now he's frozen all right, Jeff Mills. We'll hmm. go. Is Jeff Mills frozen? No, he's not. Jeff Mills, you're not frozen, and I can hear you, and I think you can hear me, and I think at one time you liked Penn National.
5: Yeah, loud and clear here. Yeah, listen. I think the trading was was somewhat telling today. Penn was up at one point. DraftKings was way down. Penn trades at less than one times price to sales, DraftKings at at over four times. So I think that it's indicative of this kind of market that investors are going to gravitate more toward a stock like Penn. You know, with DraftKings, customer acquisition costs are still really high. It continues to push out profitability, where Penn, you know, there's value in the regional casino business. I brought that up a couple of times. Uh, The balance sheet is better and really not assigning any value to the barstool partnership right now so uh, i do like Penn and just you know off the board name mgm i think you get a little bit of a tailwind from what's going on in china but i like the vegas u.s exposure as well and they're grabbing share in sports betting also
3: coming up evs getting vicious one auto exec throwing shade at tesla that in your final trades and fast money returns Welcome back to Fast Money. Volkswagen CEO taking a shot at Tesla in a presentation to employees today, saying its leadership position in the EV marketplace is weakening. Take a look at this meme used by Herbert Diess, showing VW in the wings ready to tackle Tesla. This comes on Elon Musk's 51st birthday, which is today. We all know he's watching, of course. So how is he celebrating? Hard to tell. The Tesla chief still in talks to acquire Twitter and take it private. He hasn't tweeted in one whole week since june 21st no replies nothing dan what do you think
4: no likes nothing well happy birthday elon and i'll just say this is for volkswagen to do this they obviously know that this is something that was going to get out there so they're feel pretty confident or at least they're flexing a little bit and i yeah. think that you know one of the pillars of the bear case has been the competition it seems like it's here
3: final trade tim
5: stan Macau, melco
3: jeff mills humana you can look at this chart 10 different ways it's going higher and yes, in case you're wondering, we lost Guy for good. Uh, Dan. Yeah, he'll be back. I mean, um, uh, for, for this show.
4: Yeah, it, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <gasps> Disney's <gasps> starting to look interesting. It's definitely with an eight-handle
3: here. All right. Thanks for watching. Fast seat back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
4: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to
7: drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.